Germantown Community Radio, 92.9 FM, WGGTLP, Philadelphia, and online at gtownradio.com. This is What Do You Know About That? A radio show about anything and everything happening in our community, our city, and our world. Here are your hosts, Eric Gershnow and Mary Angela Saavedra. Everybody, happy Thursday! Hi, Eric. How you doing? Doing just dandy, Mary Angela. How are you doing? Oh, pleased as punch to be back for another episode of What Do You Know About That? Indeed. What's going on? Uh, well, we just came back from a pretty cool trip up to Niagara Falls to check out the falls and everything in and around the falls. It was pretty awesome. It was pretty awesome. And spoiler alert, I want to do that as a topic at some point. <laughs> okay, very good. Well, I would highly encourage our listeners, if you haven't had a chance to, or the inclination to, hop in the car and drive, what, seven hours? It's about six and a half from here. Preferably break it up, maybe yeah. stay at a hotel one night, but go up and check Niagara. It's, it's pretty breathtaking. It is. What's going on today in this day in science? Well, this day in science, August 25th in 2012, Voyager 1 is first spacecraft to reach interstellar space. So launched by NASA in 1977, Voyager 1 completed its voyage to the limits of the solar system on this day in 2012. The first object to breach the area of space affected by the sun's solar winds, known as the heliosphere, Voyager 1 registered a massive increase in plasma density as it reached interstellar space, as well as a marked increase in both magnetic and cosmic rays. The extended mission of the spacecraft is exploring and collecting information about the outer solar system environment, and it is destined to continually wander the Milky Way. Wow, so like it went past the orbit of Pluto, I guess, and then just... Yep, basically left the edges of our solar system. Hmm. Yeah, so... How did they determine where the edges of our solar system... You know, are. I don't know. It's kind of like the way a mime sort of determines the edges of the wall. I, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not exactly sure. I think it has to be tied with the expansion of of the the sun's rays, and uh, I don't know, because like what they're what they're mentioning here, there's there's definitely a change in um, in the environment of space once you leave the our solar system, hmm. but. I, I am more focused on the, 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 the micro world, so my knowledge of space is, is limited. Oh, well, other I, than I still think that's pretty cool. Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. Well, I look forward to hearing more news from Voyager, I guess, if it runs into something. Yeah, they're out still there. collecting data. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I just wonder if it eventually it just doesn't land up in some alien's backyard and like, <laughs> what's up with this piece of space trash? Well, I mean, that was ten years ago, so it's done some traveling in 10 years yeah exactly but who knows i know it's like so many light years just to get to what was that one plant that was discovered recently that was shown to have an inhabitable atmosphere similar to Earth's. oh yeah but it's like like 75 light years away which yeah. is you know it's it's unachievable in certainly our lifetime but there you go this day in science all right so What's going on in the neighborhood, Mary Angela? Well, a couple things are going on in the neighborhood. I don't know if you know this. This is something I actually just found out 
myself, but there is a very historic building in Chestnut Hill that caught fire last week while we were on vacation. Oh no. Yeah, it's the it's the building that houses El Quetzal, I think is the name of it. It's a it's a little like tchotchke store in like one one whole side of it in the bottom and then the other side. I think Where's do you know where the intersection is? Yeah, it's right across the street from the Weaver's Way Co-op on Germantown Avenue in Chestnut Hill. Oh, it's okay. That, it's that I know building. what you're talking about. Yeah, and it has the. It's a craft and art store. Is um, mm-hmm. is L Kit Kit. It's okay. Anyway, I, I, I can't yeah. pronounce it, but anyway, yes. So it burnt down. Well, not necessarily burnt down, but yeah, it burned pretty bad because there were apartments and offices above the store. Oh no! So the storefront has a lot of water damage and stuff from having to put out the fire. But my understanding was that that part of Germantown Avenue was closed off for 24 hours. Oh boy. And that has, that building is very historic. Um, They're really lucky that it didn't spread. But the thing is, is that the building kind of stands alone. It's a long wide building Mm -hmm. that then doesn't have anything on either side. Um, That um, there was like a restaurant kind of cafe catering business that was in the back. Right. That's all been damaged. Um, Yeah. It's, it's a pretty big blow for a building that's as old as it is right there on Germantown Avenue. Do they know what caused the fire? They don't. But what reports are saying is that the, day of the fire that morning they've been doing some renovations in some of those offices upstairs Mm -hmm. and in the back of the building because there's an art center that's supposed to be built next to it where they're working on on building a a community art center in chestnut hill and to prepare for that they've been doing some renovations to this building to like you know make it high quality enough to be ready to be next to this other building. Um, Anyway they smelled some chemicals there was a very chemical smell as people are reporting and then, and then, and then there was a fire. Seconds so, later, yes, not seconds, but well, you know, some sometime later, right? In the morning, they smelled chemical, really strong chemical smell, and by the afternoon, evening, there was a blazing fire. Oh, jeez, that's horrible. So, yeah, it's a bummer. Luckily, no one was hurt or killed, which is great, but it's very sad. They lost a lot of merchandise. Well, hopefully, and, they had some decent insurance. Yeah, it's just, it's really nobody likes to see a historic building go. You know. Yeah. So there's that. And then the other thing I wanted to mention uh, that's been kind of taking up a lot of boards, you know, this this had a lot of comments of people, you know, talking about their memories with the board, with the building and stuff like that. But the other thing I wanted to talk about is plant thieves. Germantown is experiencing a wave of plant thievery crime right now. Plant thievery. Yes. People are coming up on porches and stealing plants of all kinds. Really with no rhyme or reason is what the posts seem to say. There is a couple different people from Germantown who have been talking about, yeah, in recent weeks, plants have been stolen right off their porch. Some people are catching people on their ring cams. They're seeing them. And they were like, here's this video of this person. I watched one of them. The person just walked up on the porch, perused the plants, and then decided which one they were going to pick up and take with them and they did and i was like wow are we like at a point in this world where getting plants is a difficult thing is it someone well, who's like i really a, need a I, plant <laughs> i think you had mentioned this even before because i, I well, mean that was a person it, trading an, an unpleasant plant yeah for a yeah plant. swapping plants but sure. it sort of ties in with this bigger theme too of like Halloween decorations and fall decorations, people just going up on folks' property and 
not only grabbing stuff, but then replacing it with other things. Right. And but this is like a wave of just plants just, disappearing. Just plant thievery. And right. And not even flowering plants. Like, you know, one woman was like, I had basically an outdoor fern that I really liked like, that was oh, this old. Looks pretty. That, right. That she had been like nursing for years and it had been inside. And so in the summer she puts it outside and then she brings it back inside. Like this whole thing. And she's she said, you know, I never really thought about it. But then, you know, I get up one morning and it's gone. And I'm That's like, weird. who took e- e- my plant? You know, it makes me wonder because, like, I think about when people are selling homes and they hire a real estate agent and that person comes in and they do the staging, right? They mm-hmm. they rent the furniture. I'm thinking they're probably like, you know what this house needs? It needs a nice fern. Hey, that house across the street has one. <laughs> Maybe I just like to humor. Yeah, I mean, none of the the comments on it said anything about the plants coming back, and none of them were traded mm. out as the one before where I talked about. Maybe so there's like some just, underground plant market. Yeah, I don't know, but heads up, if you put plants outside your house and you live in Germantown, chain them right now. There is a there is a plant thievery wave going on. Um, and on the same note. There are also been an increase in bicycle thefts lately. And the bicycle thefts are not the just super easy opportunistic, hey, I locked my bike up out front of my house mm-hmm. and this was too easy and somebody just came up and clipped that chain and took my bike. Um, this one particular post that I saw today was letting people know that they put their bikes in their shed that's actually at the back of their house. It's not easy to get to. It's not easily visible by the road. And they think... Somebody watched them take their bikes in and put them away and then came in and got it in in the evening because the next morning the bikes were gone and the bikes were locked up in the shed and the shed lock was broken and the bikes were gone. Mm -hmm. And that was all they took was the bikes. And she was like, yeah, you can't see this shed really from the road. You have you would have to be watching us go in with our bikes and notice. So, you know, just it, it stinks that, you know, but we live in the city. You've got to remember that criminals are opportunistic and if you've got a nice bike and you think you're trying to lock it up in your shed that that still might not be the safest place for your bicycle so just just heads up and yeah be careful with your stuff indeed so what are we talking about today what's our topic well i know i tend to pick usually some sciency oriented type topic. So it's like an extension of this day in science. And I am, my topic is going to talk on something sort of, if you want to call it cliche science, but it ultimately starts with a love story. So do you happen to know who Katia and Maurice, if I pronounce it correctly, Maurice Kraft? It's K-R-A-F-F-T. Are you familiar with that couple by chance? What do you know about Katya and Maurice Kraft? I know absolutely nothing about them. You know absolutely nothing about them. Well, let me just sort of give you a little backstory just to build the suspense here. So this was a, a couple that had actually met and married at university. They're both French, total nerds. Uh, 100%. Katya was a, I believe she was a dual major in chemistry and physics. Uh, I couldn't tell you what Maurice's major was, but basically within that same category uh, or similar category, adjacent category of scientific disciplines. They are probably most notably known for 
their footage of volcanoes. Hmm. So do you ever remember being like a kid and watching PBS? This is like my furthest memory uh, that I have or any association with volcanoes. Because truth be told, I don't know anything about volcanoes other than the image of the kid in elementary school who comes to school with this little paper mache volcano and then mixes in some baking soda and vinegar to make stuff bubble up to talk about, I guess, the principles of volcanic activity. But beyond that, have never really had any interest in volcanoes necessarily other than that connection that I have with this couple and specifically the footage that they captured. So I know a lot of it, it's, it's much older footage from like the 70s and 80s. They unfortunately were killed in 1991. This was during what's called a pyroclastic flow at Mount Unzen in Japan. So they were killed like along with like 40 other people. But up until then, they were revered within their discipline of volcanology, but had garnered a lot of media fame because of the kind of footage that they had captured. Specifically, it was Katya, who was the, the risk taker, which again, it just even, even in scientific disciplines to see you know, a woman sort of ascend to the, the, the higher ranks. But in this case, she put a lot of other guys in the dust because she was so willing to go so close mm. just to capture data, to capture images. And a lot of the work that they did really helped to build that area of study and expertise and understanding volcanic activity. So we'll get into things like pyroclastic flow and other aspects related to volcanoes. But I kind of wanted to start with this couple because for me, that's really where the inspiration came from to, to do some research on this. And the whole reason why it came up for me recently was there is a documentary that just came out. It's called The Fire Within. It's narrated by Werner Herzog. So if you're familiar with who that guy is, I'm not going to do an impression of him. I'll spare everyone. <laughs> but uh, he's, he's a, a highly renowned filmmaker. And it's like, it's like an hour and 24 minutes long. And it's nothing but footage that they captured. So wow. he narrates it. And there's a soundtrack that goes with it. But it's all footage. And he just talks about what they were doing, volcanic activity, whatnot. So it looks really freaking cool. And you can capture little snippets of it. There's, I know, there's trailers for it. To switch gears a little bit, I, I then wanted to just talk a little bit about volcanoes. So, again, it's maybe an afterthought for most people. Like, okay, volcano. But if I were to ask you, what is a volcano? Like, in your mind, you can you see this image of this big mountain with this, you know, lava flowing out of it. But but if I were to ask you, what what's a volcano? What, what would you say? Well, I mean... I think this is a very interesting topic for a couple of reasons. So you talk about being a child and being like, you know, remembering school projects and learning about volcanoes. I actually learned about volcanoes from National Geographic because I was like six years old when Mount St. Helens erupted. Mm -hmm. And that was on the cover of the National Geographic that was sitting on my grandmother's coffee table. And I remember looking at it, this picture of this like mountain with half of it like blown away. And then just looking through this National Geographic picture after picture of like, what this looked like. And that was the first time in my life where I realized that mountains could blow up. 
<laughs> where I was like, wait, mountains can blow up? Like, I'm sorry. And then I became very interested to know, well, what kind of mountains can blow up? And do I live near a mountain that can blow up? And is a mountain going to blow up near me? Because, you know, that's how six-year-old me's brain worked. Right. So I learned at a pretty early age exactly what a volcano was. And I knew right away that it was about... um you know, where the tectonic plates come together and fold in on each other, right? So when that happens, it sort of opens up a little port to the, like, sort of, you know, molten magma layer of the earth, mm-hmm. which then means because it's all gases and pressure and everything down there, it, it's basically, it's a spout. It's a place for that molten rock and and things to, to come up to the surface. And there, you know, I learned that there are entire islands in the Pacific that, are exist because of volcanoes that have been erupting underwater for centuries and have, you know, now turned into um, islands. The Hawaiian islands have so many active volcanoes on them all the time um, because that is how they were created and they're still being made that way to this day. I also know that in some cases, like in the case of Mount St. Helens, um, they really thought it was was dormant, like it was dead. That that port was, for whatever reason, closed and no longer whatever. And then they learned that no, that's not. It's kind of never the case. It you know means that stuff fills it up and the earth does some other things and it doesn't blow up all the time. But it doesn't mean that it's never going to blow up again. And as we know from history books, the same thing happened with Mount Vesuvius, right? They mm-hmm. built an entire civilization at the base of that beautiful mountain that then just floored them all so that, that's that's what i know about volcanoes well that's quite a bit actually <laughs> <laughs> so uh, i'm done next <laughs> no i'm kidding so yes you, you you touch on a lot of key elements that make up volcanoes so like you said tectonic plates the earth is uh in a sense a living thing and part of that organic element of the earth is the movement, like you say, of the plates, the tectonic plates and the ever-flowing magma that lives deep within the earth. And as you say, there's there's sort of a buildup of magma and you, you, you use the term pressure. Uh, and, and I believe maybe you said gases, which there are trapped gases underneath the, the earth's surface. And they form volcanoes, but there's different aspects or different types of I don't want to say different types of volcanoes, but it's more specifically volcanic activity. So you kind of touched on that, like sometimes you'll have volcanoes that are underwater. Sometimes you have some that are on the surface that form these mountainous peaks that we're all too familiar with. Uh, So there's different types of volcanoes, but it's all based on the type of volcanic activity. So there really, it breaks down to four distinct categories of volcanic activity that are really dependent on two principal variables. Those variables being the viscosity of the magma or the lava itself and the degree of gas that's trapped Mm -hmm. under the surface. So the first scenario is what we call a, a fire mountain. So this is the result of what we would call low viscosity lava. So low viscosity lava is principally containing a mineral called basalt, which really, when it hardens, it's, it forms a very grainy type of rock mineral that is primarily comprised of magnesium and iron, which is the bulk of what Earth's core is made out of. 
Uh, so this is very fluid stuff. And when you have a lot of gases that are building up underneath the Earth's surface, and I think hydrogen sulfide is one of them, but really toxic fumes, I mean, deadly to humans that, that come bubbling up out of the Earth's surface. So when you have a high concentration of gases and low viscosity lava, you can imagine like air bubbles that are coming up through water, when they hit the surface, they have a splashing effect. So it's almost like a burp that you see coming out the top, which it kind of looks like fire. The second scenario is what they just call lava flow. So this is combining low viscosity lava with low pressure or gases that are trapped beneath the surface. So then lava is just oozing out and yeah, it oozes out very readily. Yeah. And that's where you see these rivers of lava that are flowing, right? right? Mm -hmm. And because of the way they flow so readily, because it's low viscosity, the lava tends to travel very far from the center of the volcano. So those types of volcanoes tend to be more flat. You don't, you don't see that mountainous appearance. So conversely, when we talk about the third scenario, which are lava domes, this is when you have now high viscous or high viscosity lava. And the case where you have high viscosity lava is when you have a, a higher silica content so silica or just sand that's what silica is right mm -hmm. it's the same stuff that makes glass so when you have a higher silica content the viscosity goes up it becomes more syrupy it doesn't move so fast so with uh low pressure systems you just see this lava just kind of ooze out the top and then it solidifies so that's where you get these more mountainous types of volcanoes due to this high density lava now, the final and fourth scenario is what we call uh, the most deadly, and that is the explosive eruptions, like what you were talking about, yeah. where you'll see the side of the mountain explode. And that's when you have the combination of high-viscosity lava with a high-pressure system. You have a lot of gases that are trapped beneath the Earth's surface. If they can't, they, they're going to go through the path of least resistance. If they can't get through that lava, they're just going to erupt out the side of the mountain. So you, it's like you said, it's explosive effect. And these are the scariest ones of all, right? Because you have this explosive effect, this massive buildup of pressure underneath the earth's surface. It creates almost like a sonic boom. So it can be deafening. It can shatter windows for miles, can cause major damage, uh, you know, in addition to hearing loss. But then a lot of volcanic ash and dirt will go flying up into the sky. The debris will block out the sun, yep. right? And we've seen this. Um, it could happen for weeks. And then on top of that, you got people breathing in volcanic ash, which is highly toxic, super dangerous to inhale. And then you have what are these, like I mentioned before, pyroclastic flows. So in a, a pyroclastic flow is essentially when you have, it looks like an avalanche, like on the side of a hill that's got snow on it, right? When you see an avalanche happen, you see this front move down at tremendous speed, and then there's just that dust cloud in its wake. Well, pyroclastic flow is when you have, it's a combination of these, these gases that are trapped with volcanic debris that come rushing down the side of the mountain at like thousand like kilometers per hour at like 800 degrees Celsius and just completely fries you. So that's what happened to the couple. Uh, and again, is sort of indicative of these uh, explosive eruptions. Not to go into 
the list of volcanoes because there's hundreds of volcanoes across the globe. And like you mentioned, like in the Pacific area, there's what's called the Ring of Fire. Have you heard of this? Yes. Right. So the Ring of Fire basically just runs up the entire west coast of North and South America, goes over the northern continents, and then comes down Southeast Asia and then around Australia and then into the ocean. It's literally a, a horseshoe ring of volcanoes. So, like you said, a lot of that volcanic activity contributing to uh, the islands that are in the Pacific there. To switch gears a little bit and just briefly touch on, okay, so now we describe volcanic activity. What's the point of really paying attention to volcanoes? Well, the whole reason why we do uh, is to, again, understand and predict behavior of active volcanoes, which active volcanoes, as you know, they may not be erupting, but they could have activity happening underneath the surface of the earth and you don't know it until it's it happens yeah. it's too late yeah so if you go to usgs.gov it's a public website that's full of all kinds of great information about how we map and monitor volcanoes and volcanic activity in order to establish tools to predict you know when we need to sound the alarm and get people out uh, some of those include how we monitor like earthquake activity, so seismologists measure frequency and degree of movement that's happening under the Earth's surface. You know, it could be indicative based on the frequency, just like the sound waves that are being captured during the recording here. They can tell you whether or not it's due to magma movement, uh, movement from tectonic plates, or escaping gases underneath the surface of the Earth. Topography, right? So monitoring the the surface of the earth especially around active volcano sites because the shift in the topography is again indicative of what's happening underneath the surface of the earth but also one of the things that's really interesting about volcanoes and i didn't realize this but volcanoes are kind of tied hand in hand with flooding did you know that i did not yeah so if you think about the lava flow from a volcano right especially for these volcanoes where you have very high-flowing, uh, low-viscosity lava. It'll spread out far around the base of the volcano, but most of it's comprised of that basalt, which is very loose and granular. So when rainwater hits it, it loosens it up, and it carries it away from the volcano and sometimes can plug other channels, water channels, and can cause major flooding when you have like storms, like like tsunamis, right? They kind of go hand in hand in Southeast Asia. A lot of the tsunamis are tied to uh, partly, not exclusively, but partly from, you know, it's flooding from volcanic activity. So that was, I was hmm. like, whoa, I had no idea. Yeah. Another way that scientists can monitor volcanic activity is you imagine gases and lava that are bubbling up to the Earth's surface. You also have groundwater there that a lot of those minerals get trapped in and those minerals will augment the concentration you know of those minerals in that groundwater we can track those and monitor those and finally you know one of the things we can do is heat mapping so you know using things like infrared to to measure uh, the presence of either things like steam or in the case of geysers, which again are indicative of what's happening underground, hot springs, right? These are mm -hmm. sources where there is volcanic activity, but it's like underground and that heat is being transferred to those bodies of water. So just some basic factoids about volcanoes and how we monitor their behavior. 
Uh, there was just a couple other sort of general factoids that I came across that I thought were really interesting. One of those being the whole flooding activity. The other thing too is uh, oftentimes you'll see volcanic lightning that will, or lightning storms that will accompany volcanic activity. And this most likely is a result of clouds being saturated with ash, volcanic ash during eruptions. It creates friction in the atmosphere. And that friction then is what causes these lightning storms to happen around volcanoes. So you can picture that in your head. It's like the ultimate heavy metal album cover. <laughs> like I would have that sure. on the back of my jacket, maybe if I was 15 years old. Yeah. And, and just to like what we were talking about before, there's a lot of volcanoes on the earth. 80% of the earth's surface has origins from volcanoes. Did you know that? I didn't know it was 80%, but that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, so the seafloor and some mountains were formed by countless volcanic eruptions or gaseous emissions from volcanoes formed the Earth's atmosphere. Did you know that? And did not. Wow. So volcanoes really are the birth of basically everything that's living on this planet, mm -hmm. right? They have nutrients in the soil, which you think about the food culture in Italy, all of it's derived from the fact that their produce is so rich in mineral content because their soil is so rich in mineral content from the volcanoes nearby. Right. So I thought that was really, really cool. Active volcanoes in the U.S. are found mainly in Hawaii, Alaska, California, Oregon, and Washington. But the greatest chance of eruptions near areas where many people live, of course, is going to be in Hawaii and Alaska. Yeah. So, you know couple other factoids I could throw out there, but like I said, it was inspired by this couple. I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with them. If you haven't had a chance to check it out, I would uh, check out the, the documentary. Well, I want you to explain what it is that killed them. You said it was a certain kind of flow, so I don't understand. Right, like a pyroclastic flow. So like what I was saying before, it's a, basically a wave of volcanic gases and debris that come rushing down the side of a mountain like an avalanche. Um. And where I think in many cases you'll see uh, in some of the videos that the video footage that they had taken, a lot of it was these just, just basic lava flows, right? So you have a low pressure system, low viscosity lava. You just have these rivers that are flowing so they could get really close to them. But, you know, I don't know all the details about the eruption of this volcano, but it was quite violent and... The they didn't expect it. They were yeah, yeah they exactly. were okay. So yeah, it was something that blindsided them. They and they it, were and thinking it just they were going to take the whole yeah. side of the the mountain. So it wiped oh. them out. It wiped out like forty other people who are present. And I mean that's just the dangers of getting too close. Yeah. But clearly they were passionate about it. They were willing to do it. I think one of the um, blurbs I read about the wife, she had actually gotten in a raft in, it was a river of acid, apparently. I'm not sure where that's coming from, but I know that a lot of those gases that are coming out are probably acidic in nature. But, you know, she's, long story short, would, would really risk life and limb to get really close. Yeah, that's, uh, I'm not sure I'd be able to do that. But I know that the technology was on their side as far as knowing, you know, kind of where they were going. But if you're going to an active volcano, you just, yeah, you take those you're risks. You're taking your right? life in your hands. Well, one of the factoids I came across was there's some volcanoes that are just regularly active 
and predictively so. Like they just spew out a little bit of lava consistently uh, and have been doing so over a period of years. And so much so that like some of them have become tourist attractions. People Mm -hmm. come to go visit and watch the volcanoes, which I'm like, okay. That is a thing you do in Hawaii. I mean, anybody I know who's ever gone to Hawaii has talked about going to see a volcano. So yeah, well, thing you can do. Maybe one day. I'm good. That that'll be the day that I eat spam. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm good. Well, that's Anyhow, cool. But that's that's what I had to talk about about volcanoes. And uh, again, if anyone's interested in the documentary, it's called "The Fire Within." I personally enjoy listening to Werner Werner Herzog talk. He's got a really <laughs> raspy, like Austrian German voice. So uh, he's he's a little creepy, but. Um, <laughs> thought-provoking so i highly encourage you i'm gonna check it out cool cool if you have any thoughts about this or would like us to feature a topic of your choosing on our show we would love to hear from you you can email us at what do you know gtown at gmail.com or you can find us on facebook or instagram at what do you know about that so stick around everybody we have our favorite segment who are the musicians in your neighborhood coming up next we'll be right back You're listening to 92.9 FM G-Town Radio. Well, welcome back, everybody. It is time for our favorite segment, Who Are the Musicians in Your Neighborhood? And I am very excited to introduce our guests in studio today. Uh, we have Krista and Douglas from Oviet are joining us today. Welcome, welcome. Hi. Hi. Thanks so much for being here. So uh, how about you start by just like telling us a little bit about yourselves, where you're from, how long you've been in Philly, um, that kind of good stuff. Ooh. Do you want to go first? Okay. Uh, well, I'm Douglas, and uh, I've lived in Philly since 95. Um, moved here pretty much right after college. Uh, grew up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, so Philadelphia was the city of my, of my youth. So yeah, I've I've lived here a long time. I've lived in West Philly all that all that time. Yeah. So, yeah. Awesome. And Krista and I met um, seven or eight years ago. In Germantown. In Germantown, yeah. At church. <laughs> yeah, at church. In the stairwell. <laughs> <laughs> Playing music. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've been here about eleven years. Um, we moved from Greece um, in twenty eleven. Uh, I don't think that's true. That can't be 11 years ago. No, 20... That's correct. Is that right? Yes. Okay, it was 2011. (laughs) Um, And, uh, but I grew up in Iceland. Anyway, long story short, uh, kind of international kid, moved around a lot, ended up here. Uh, We have some family in the area. My parents met in this city. Um, And then my sister moved back here. And so then we ended up back here. Right. There you go. Mm-hmm. So maybe just to uh, sidestep here, and for our listeners who were tuning into our previous episode, episode 21, we had a guest, uh, Timothy, who was on here. So he also was from Greece. Is there, there's a connection <laughs> there, right? Yeah. That's my husband. Okay. Yeah. So we, we were in Greece for about 10 years off and on, back and forth between the U.S., and he is from there. 
or born there anyway. Yeah. Very cool. So uh, he had charmed us with some Mediterranean style type music. Mm-hmm. Uh, are your roots similar, different? What what sort of like music are you into? Mm. We yeah we have very different. He and I have pretty different musical tastes, but we do come together on some. We do both really like Greek folk music, um, and that's that is one thing we sometimes will overlap, and I'll play. We'll all sometimes sit in with them. Um, but otherwise we don't, the stuff we grew up with was pretty different. Um, I was definitely more into like Brit pop and, and like depressing, um, British music, (laughs) (laughs) um, in Iceland, like very heavily influenced by the cure and like suede and pulp and a lot of the, and a lot of like shoegazer music. Um, yeah. So we had, and he was, I think more into metal. And, and Greek music, but I can't speak for it. <laughs> what are some of your musical interests? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I, I my head got spun around when I heard the Smiths when I was fourteen. So you know, I, I, I that's kind of, you know, um, I was into the whole new wave stuff. You know, sure. uh, mid eighties and in, in the early nineties, and then um, that's kind of. It's sort of somewhere in the early 90s is where Krista and my musical tastes kind of coalesced in sort of like, you know, yeah, like shoegaze, indie pop, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and singer-songwriter stuff, too. Like, we we both really um, have found out that we like Bruce Coburn a lot. Weird. Or yeah. um, there's some there's some women. We listened to Ani DeFranco, too, uh, Yeah, we both listened to Ani DeFranco yeah. at the same time. Like, I'm a few years older than Krista, so I was like... You know, I was in college and she was in high school. We were listening to some similar. We we found out, you know, that we were listening to similar stuff. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. actually probably how we connected, because we were in church. We were playing different kind of music for prelude and yeah, <laughs> offered, it was like Mennonite stuff, and yeah. we would play music. And then sometimes Douglas would bring his pedal, and you would play some more. And I was like, "Ooh, I like that sound. I wonder what kind of m- music he listens to." And then I think we just started like talking about it and realized that we had a ton of music stuff in common yeah. and like liked similar sounds. And I was like, what are you working on? And, and then, I don't know, at some point, this is answering a question you didn't ask, but the main thing was that we were at a show, we were at a house concert of mutual friends. And at some point you came up to me in the show and this is like two years in and you were like, why are we doing this? <laughs> and I was like, I know. And then, then the next week, I think we like you gave wrote me, our, yeah, you I gave, gave me an idea, something. and then a week later, I came back with a demo, and then <laughs> yeah. we listened to it like yeah at church, <laughs> at church or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was kind of how it started. That's really cool. That's so, a great story. So, where did the name come from? Uh, well, yeah, we a random the, town. yeah sort of a town. I I was driving. Um, I go to Northern Michigan every summer, and um, several summers ago. I was just driving and there's a little, there was this little town um, that had this, it, it just had like one, it had a, a farm and a few buildings. And I just, I don't know, I thought this place was amazing. I don't, I don't know what I thought of why, but it was just amazing to me. And it was called Oviat, like with an A, O-V-I-A-T, T, maybe. And so anyway, when we were then trying to come up with names, um, we were sort of almost sounding things out and that was a sort of musical sounding kind of mm. name. And, but Oviet 
turns out to be, you know, it's a, it's a French name. Uh, it's a first name. Um, and there are other things that are named Oviette. Um, and anyway, it, I don't know. It it's was just like the ring of it. It's yeah. like the ring yeah. of it. Um, it's easy to say. It's, it, uh, it looks good on paper. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, all that. All the reasons to choose yeah. my name. I mean, right. yeah, it's yeah. great. It's got appeal. So, uh, I was going to ask, um, because it's just the two of you. However, I had the, uh, the fortune to, um, be present at Jacopo's uh, Rubicam Summerfest where you guys had performed and it was a much larger production. So you had, in addition to yourself, Douglas, you had a, another guitar, there was another guitar player, bass player, and then you had drums. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was like a full rock band. And when you were talking about early 90s influences, I mean, like that's, that's based, like that to me summed up like your sound when I was like, wow, I haven't heard this sound in such a long time. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Cool. Yeah. We were like pretty like when we, with the band, we like really lean into that. I think mm-hmm. try to anyway. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. The, so, um, and that's what the record is. I mean, the record is, is a band record, um, but um, we were starting to play as a duo kind of, we were kind of working on these, these demos and things. Um, we've actually, the record that, that came out this spring, um, it was like five years of work, part of it mm-hmm. because of COVID too. But we were just starting to kind of like play out and mostly as a duo um, because it's just tough to lug three other people around. And, and schedule. Other, and and scheduling, yeah. yeah. And, yep. you know, like I have kids, Krista has kids. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like um, the logistics were, were pretty crushing. Um, yeah, so, um, but that's, yeah, that was like, that's our ideal that Worcester Woods is like the ideal band setup, you know, mm-hmm. and, well, and my sister, yeah. my sister's the drummer, Katie, and we've played since we were teens, like in our garage in Iceland. So she's, and she sings back up for us. Um, and she just like plugs right in. I mean, it's like, Heim like, sisters minus one. Yeah. It's we like having two Krista more. vocalists on stage too. <laughs> like kind of crazy. Yeah. And then, um, our bass player, we borrowed from, well, he's from one of Timothy's projects, <laughs> um, Christian Henschek. He's amazing, plays upright and electric. And um, and then, well, you should say Daryl. Yeah, and Daryl, was... um, the second guitarist who's been kind of becoming a member of the band, I guess, is uh, is my one of my best friends from high school. And we were we had a, a band in high school together. But he lives in Pittsburgh, and he he's a professional guitarist. So oh, nice. He comes in. He comes in and just you know sprinkles his guitar magic on things mm-hmm. that's been a big actually like that's taken it to another because because now we've actually done a couple things where we played as a trio with him and that has really i think like given us a chance to kind of flesh out the sound more because it lets you be able to do some of the atmospheric stuff that we wanted to do that that's on the album that's hard to do when we just play as a duo and it's I totally important get to what you're sound. saying. Yeah, and you use this term that that really just rung with me was sprinkles. I mean, that's what it is, right? <laughs> You're like little jimmies on top. They just add the the depth and the mm-hmm. um, like you said the uh, what was it? Like the flavor and the, the yeah. styling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just just some of those atmospheric elements that you can't reproduce unless you had say pre-recorded tracks that you're playing. Yeah, so, yeah. As a duo. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot. There's, there's a whole other dimension when you have two guitars. 
I think you know. on on the website, I think you wrote shimmering, 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 shimmering instrumentation. Instrumentation. Yes. Um, it is kind more of shimmer. shimmery. There's some shimmer. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of reverb. Nothing reverb. Wrong. We like reverb. Yeah, yeah, we turn that up all the way. Yeah, usually. totally. <laughs> cool. So maybe um, tell us a little bit about this album. You said it took five years to produce. You had mentioned earlier you'd done basically all the production work in the basement and then took it off to get mastered. Is that, that's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, um, I guess Chris and I starting to write music together also coincided with me realizing that I could use my iPad to record, you know, (laughs) which was, you know, I'm of like, we were, I'm I'm of the age that I recorded on tapes and stuff when I was in high school and even, you know, into the two thousands, I was still using four track cassette, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and so it's like it, it's mind blowing to uh, to know that you can take something as sm- small as like an iPad and and you know get something that approaches like a studio album. So I was just really learning how to engineer, you know, and mm-hmm. um, and Krista, Krista would come with ideas, and then I would just play and learn and bring her demos, and then we'd just kind mm-hmm. of work on that there, there's days when <laughs> I, I do the analog Björk thing which is like she walks in the park in London and like records her <laughs> into her phone and then like I would send that to, to you with like scratchy footsteps yeah. it's totally it's, it would be like lately no 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 not like that but well, I would just yeah, be like, like you know I'd send you like little tracks yeah my, actually so yeah actually phone. the first the first track on the record is started like that way and it was the first track that you ever sent me and you're shaking your keys as you're walking maybe the Wissahickon, you know oh, yeah that was it was a phone memo and i just built i built out from i often build out from her phone memos um so yeah and then anyway i got better and better and then at my skills and and gear and then um finally you know around January we felt like we had 12 songs to put put out there and decided just to do it you know mm-hmm. um, we had, we were completely inactive during covid for a good year and a half two years we hardly saw each other yeah so yeah. that was a you know that would have been out sooner but you're not alone yeah <laughs> yeah it was sad time yeah <laughs> yeah well tell us what's the song you're going to perform for us live in studio mm. today I'm really excited about this song. Yeah, it's called Find Out, and um, we actually released it. Uh, it's the most punk song on our album. It is. It's, yeah, on the on the record, it's very yeah, it's very sounds like garage a garage band, um, and um, channeling sort of a little bit of the early Blondie sound a little bit, um, maybe in the recording. But um, it's Find Out, uh, and find out what it means to be closer and we released it in april of 2020 <laughs> as oh. a single like just it was you know, so ironic yeah because yeah. it was kind of ready to go uh, and we you know we're like this doesn't mean like what you think it means it means emotional closeness all right so oviet and the track is find out take a listen It's not the end of the world if I get a bit close to you 
not the end of the world if I get a little more close to you. It's not the end of the world if I get a bit close to you. It's not the end of the world if I get a bit close to you. Find out what it means to get closer. Find out what it means to get closer. Find out what it means a bit closer to you. Find out what it means to get closer. Find out what it means to get closer. Find out what it means to get closer to you. It's not the end of the world if I spend some time with you. It's not the end of the world if I spend a little more time with you. It's not the end of the world if I spend some time with you. It's not the end of the world. If I spend a little more time with you, find out what it means to get closer. Find out what it means to get closer. Find out what it means a bit closer to you. Find out what it means to get closer. Find out what it means to get closer. Find out what it means a bit closer to you. That was fabulous. I love that. Thanks I can't so wait much. to hear the other version. <laughs> I mean, that version was great, but I'm also like, ooh, well, now I want to compare and contrast. Yeah, the other where, version is it's, loud. It's yeah, like, it's straight up. so different. Where can we find this album? Where Where do you have so it? So we are on all the platforms. Awesome. So whatever your play, favorite platform is, go to it. Okay. We're definitely on. So that that's available on Bandcamp um, as a download. Um, you can also order the CD like you have um there's a a a deluxe 
CD thing that comes with some original art. That's super cool. Um, did you do the art? Who did the art? We both did. We're we're actually both artists. Also, um, huh. Douglas is painter. I'm weaver and. Yeah, so we collaborated on making a limited edition of 15 original art, sort of vinyl album cover size. Nice. It goes with the CD. That's very cool. So it is. it's yeah, it relates to the album art, which is photographic, but mm-hmm. in this the case, too. they're actually handmade. Uh, an edition of 15. Mm-hmm. Did yeah. we get one of those? No, we have. <laughs> oh, you okay. have to go to Bandcamp. Right. I to order, order them the deluxe with the deluxe edition. edition. <laughs> right. Right. But now we know you can go to Bandcamp and order the deluxe edition. Yeah. But you know, Spotify, Apple Music, all the, all the platforms were out yeah. there. Yeah. I think probably because since we're both visual artists too, like it feels really important for us to have a physical, like to have something like a physical copy of something in hand. Mm-hmm. And so that was, I think we wanted to like make something since we weren't going to make, we weren't going to do vinyl on this run. Maybe in the future we'll see. Had some requests for that, but. Yeah. We'll get there. Yeah. Well, tell us where, if we want to see you live, where can we catch you? Yeah. So this fall we have a few things coming up. I mean, you might find us at open mics as well. So, <laughs> um, you know, you never know what, if you'll run into us like at the XPN one or the great Brew one or another one. But, um, on, um, Thursday, September 29th, we are in, uh, what I believe to be is a collection of various artists under the theme of duets. Mm-hmm. And that's at the, um, it's called warehouse three out in Swarthmore. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they only seem to have a Facebook page. So if you, if you look for warehouse three, it's like, W A R three house three. They use the E. They gotcha. use a three as an E. So, yeah. And then um, we're headlining as a, as the band uh, at Dawson Street um, on Friday, November fourth. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's and awesome. um, opening for us is um, Bethlehem and Sad Patrick. We're really oh, excited yay. about that. Yeah. So Other nice people we like. We yeah. Yeah. Like so that's that's, that's gonna, gonna be, be that's gonna be yeah. great. So you'll get to hear you know the Fulan Oviet experience that night. Mm-hmm. And there might be, we have a few more that might be like sort of to be determined. We're trying to, there, but we're going to keep posting, Yeah, so follow our posting, Instagram, which yeah. is sort of underscore, underscore, Oviet, underscore. But if you put Oviet in, it, Instagram it came right helps you. Yes. And how do we, how do we spell it again? Oh, yeah. Yes. O-V-I-E-T-T-E. Oviet. All right. There you go. Sounds good. Well, we'll definitely check out your social and we will try to catch one of your shows coming up thank you yeah. thank you awesome. so much for being with us today this was super fun thank yeah. you so awesome. much awesome no we we really enjoyed it especially live performance in studio you can't beat that it's great it's really fun thank you yeah. for having us so cool. fun thank you guys well thanks so much for tuning in everybody it's been a great show we've learned a lot we had an awesome live in studio performance tune in in a couple weeks when we will be back with another episode if you've got any ideas or thoughts for us please send us an email at what do you know gtown at gmail.com or find us on instagram or facebook at what do you know about that thanks y'all have a good night see you later